just like Pastor Brandon, I have been at camp all week also with lots and lots of kids and had a really great time, honestly. But I wanted to make sure that every morning I was able to get up and have quiet time before and during the day of camp with kids because I thought to myself, I will not survive. I can barely survive my five children some days, let alone all of these kids. And so I've got to have some time with Jesus. Has any mom, I've heard mom say that, I got to have time with Jesus or I'm going to hurt you. Like, I have friends that say that to their kids. Uh, it's a true story. I don't know that we should say that to our kids, but we do. And so I got to thinking, you know, a couple of problems face this. One, I didn't want to set an alarm because I didn't want to wake up all the girls that were in my dorm. Two, there were no windows in the storm. None. It was just dark. Okay? So it was nice for sleeping, but not good for waking up when you're not a morning person. So I would just randomly wake up and check to see the time. And the first time it was five. And I thought, if I get up right now, I'll be the cranky counselor. So no, I'm going to go back to sleep. And then I woke up again and it was 7.06. And I said to myself out loud, I have to get up right now, even though I'm tired, because this is the only hour I'll have with Jesus today. And the Lord just stopped me. And he said, you can be with me all day today. And I was like, oh, wow. And so I realized that I could, and I know that, like we know that, right? Jesus is always with us. But I I realized that I had kind of compartmentalized him to this one time of day when he wanted to be with me all day. Fast forward to where I'm at most of the day. It's called the gaga ball pit. Who in here has ever played gaga ball? I mean, I know I'm a kid's pastor, so Pastor Brandon and me and Callan. Okay, Ronnie, you've played? All right, so we have Gaga Wall Pit is like a war zone, okay? These kids are vicious in there. In fact, there was a kid named, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Well, he doesn't go to church here. His name is Victor, and I called him Vicious Victor because I'm telling you, he was trying to take kids' legs off with this ball. And so the object of the game is just to get Kids out with the ball from waist down, and you just hit them, and you're in this pit, and last man standing wins. But these kids forgot that Jesus was part of church camp when they were in the gaga ball pit, okay? They were only concerned with themselves. They were only concerned with being the winner of gaga ball. And I don't know what trophy they thought they were taking home, but they wanted that trophy. And I realized the kids were doing the very same thing that I was doing with my quiet time. They had compartmentalized God. Okay, there's church time, and that's when we love our neighbor and love ourselves, like we love ourselves, and that's when we love God. But in this gogaba pit, this is not about loving God. This is about winning, okay? And I'm like, okay, so Jesus, you're even here? These kids need to know that Jesus is in the gogaba pit. So, moving on. I want to do something a little different today. I want to read a psalm, and after I read it, I want to just take two minutes, one minute, two minutes, and just be quiet. And just let the Holy Spirit speak through his word in a way that he only can to your heart. I can say all of kinds of things, but I want to take two minutes and do what Psalm 1 says, meditate on the word day and night. But I want to do that after I read it. So I'm going to read it, and then I'm just going to be silent. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would do what only you can do. I'm just the sheep. You're the shepherd. I don't always get it right, but you do. And so I ask today that you would speak through me and that you would work and move in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know that this psalm is very familiar. In fact, it's probably one of the first ones that if we were raised in church, we learned as children. And um, we do all kinds of cute things with it, like, you know, make sheep and say we're sheep and act like sheep and bah, bah, bah. And we do all these things. It's very familiar. So it's either very familiar or when we think of it, we think of funerals. We think of someone that we've lost. We think of it being read at that, and that's okay, but I don't think its intentions were to just be a funeral psalm. In this psalm, there's a few things that I want us to see, and the first one is just the continuous presence of the shepherd. The present shepherd, he provides for us. We do not lack because of the shepherd. He gives us rest. He makes us lie down. He leads us besides water. He makes sure that we get what we need. He restores our soul. If the sheep fall over, the shepherd makes sure that he turns it back up. He leads the sheep, shows the sheep where to go. He disciplines the sheep, comforts the sheep, feeds the sheep. The shepherd is continuously present with the sheep. The sheep can't be separated from the shepherd. If the sheep is separated from the shepherd, it, it, it's, it's lost. And, and I was thinking of that this week, you know, with what I said and with the goggle ball pit, why don't I live in continuous need of the shepherd? Is it my self-sufficiency that keeps me from being in tune with the shepherd? Because maybe I really don't need him to make me lie down. I don't think I do. Or maybe I don't need him for simple things in our life. But when I get caught up in this thinking that I don't need him for everything in my life, I start to depend on self-sufficiency, and that's dangerous if you're a sheep. Self-sufficiency is danger, and it leads to kind of compartmentalizing life. 
Like over here, I'm a sheep, and yes, I need the shepherd. I need the shepherd for these things. I need the shepherd for the quiet time, but I don't really need the shepherd in the Gagawa pit. I don't really need the shepherd to do all of these things throughout my day. And that is dangerous thinking when we start to compartmentalize our shepherd to just parts of our day. Think about things. I thought about things that we say, like, oh, don't say that here. We're in the church. You shouldn't say that here. Why do we compartmentalize the shepherd to right here, to this moment with him? If we shouldn't say it here, then we shouldn't say it there. We shouldn't say it in our lives, but the shepherd isn't our continuous life source. And so it's okay for us to be different at different parts of our life, but really it's not. Compartmentalization is dangerous. It's dangerous to try to live any part of our life without the shepherd, which means we need his continuous presence. And, and I know that I have to do that. I know that when I am doing laundry, I am not always thinking about God. Or when I, my kids are in the midst of a fight and I have to break it up for the 106th time, I don't always think about asking the shepherd. But what if I did? What if I did? And so we have to have this continuous presence of the shepherd. The shepherd cannot survive, or the sheep cannot survive without the shepherd. So we can't be self-sufficient. The next thing I wanted to look at is the end of verse 3. I'll reread it. It says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake. So everything God does is for his glory. Everything. And we have to align ourselves with that. You know, I spent most of my 20s asking God, God, what is your will for my life? Who, who's asked the Lord that? What's your will, Lord? What's your will for my life? What do you want me to do? And I would ask that over and over and over. And yes, God gave me some direction, but my focus was so caught up on God, what is your will? God, what is your will? God, what is your will? And at the beginning of this year, I was praying and I said to the Lord, Lord, I just want you. I just want you. I don't want your will for me. I don't want your plan for me. I don't want you to tell me what to do. Actually, I just want you. And something happened in my heart and in my life when I said that I really meant it. I really meant it. We need less of do what makes you happy and more of do what gives them glory. We live in a culture that says, what makes me happy? I want to do. We live in a culture that says self-care. Take care of you. Make sure you look out for yourself. Build your kingdom. Build your dream home. Do all of these things. Make it about yourself. But, but Jesus is the shepherd, and the shepherd is leading us on paths, not for our own selves, but for his name's sake. His name's sake. I don't know where we got so caught up in thinking that it was about us. We make everything about us. I could count a thousand times that I've heard someone say, God's got big plans for you. What if he doesn't? What if big plans were never what he intended? What if it was being faithful in the small things? What if that's what it is? We have to realign ourselves because when culture says, keep doing what's making you happy, God didn't ask us to be happy. In fact, when he said, blessed are those who are persecuted, he said, happy are those who are persecuted. We get it backwards. 
We got to do it because it's his glory. He's leading us in paths in our lives for his own name's sake. And if you keep looking at this, if you look at the first line, the first line of the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. The main character is introduced right there in the first line. He's the main character, not us. This is a very personal psalm, and yes, it can give us strength, and yes, it has given me so much strength this year, but it's really not about me. It's about being with him. The Lord is my shepherd. So, like I, I kind of referenced, but at the beginning of the year, I just was really walking through a very hard time in my life. And it honestly, the best way that I could describe it would be that I was laying in a bed and someone was taking concrete blocks and just dropping on them, dropping them on me. And the weight was so heavy that I didn't want to get out of bed, that I didn't want to go on, that I didn't know what to do. And I would just sit there and feel the weight of every block. I questioned everything. God, why are you doing this? God, what are you trying to teach me? God, how could this happen? I don't understand. I don't understand how this could happen. And well, I can't go into what it was. I just need you to think. I'm sure you've all been there sometime when you just feel a weight and you can't escape it. And and you don't know, do I deal with my grief? Do I pretend like it doesn't exist? What do I do, Lord? And I would just lay there and feel the bricks and feel the weight. And I went to bed and I'm like, Lord, I need you to take off the bricks. I can't handle the weight of the concrete anymore. I can't handle it, God. I need you to take it off. And I started to dream. And when I would dream, I would see a table. And I would wake up and I would hear the word table. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, is there some, like, I don't know. I just didn't make the connection. And I'm like, table, what does that mean? And like I said earlier, I'm not a morning person. And I'm definitely not a middle of the night person. So I just would go back to sleep. Like, okay, God, we can talk about table tomorrow. Okay? Talk about it tomorrow. And I would wake up again. And I would hear table. And I would wake up again. And I would hear table. And, you know, God's still working on me getting up in the middle of the night. So next morning when I went to my compartmentalized quiet time, I was like, Lord, what were you trying to tell me about table? What were you trying to say? And I immediately remembered Psalm 23, the table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And I was like, okay, there's a table, there's a table. And against every wish of my husband, because he thinks it probably belongs to the devil. Sorry if you read it. I went to the message Bible. Okay. I was like, I'm going to read this scripture and every verse that exists, every, every translation or paraphrase that exists, I'm going to read it. And so I did. I read it in every. Every, except the ones that are different languages because that wouldn't work. And I went to the Message Bible, and I don't own one because it would probably get thrown away. But I have it here, and I read it here, and it just, like, it got me. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims 
with blessing. And I thought about that. He prepares a table for me in the midst of my enemy, in the midst of everything that I am struggling with, in the midst of the concrete blocks being dropped on me, God is preparing a table for me. And he's inviting us to this table. He's saying, Stephanie, I want you to come to the table. I want you to sit with me. I want you to sit here. And not only is he preparing a table, which... That takes time, right? Now, think about this. They didn't go to Walmart and buy chicken and just cook it. They had to kill the chicken. The process that would make me stop eating chicken, they had to do, okay? And so God is preparing a table for me, which takes time. God is not over here looking at these concrete blocks saying, oh, Stephanie, I don't know what we're going to do with those. I don't know how to deal with those. Let me get them off of you. No, he's not. He's over here preparing a six-course dinner. Now, I don't prepare very many six-course dinners. I like, you know, rotisserie chickens and maybe Kraft mac and cheese. I like to just throw it together, you know. But a six-course dinner, that's a lot. That is a lot even in an age when we have microwaves, all right? He didn't have a microwave. I mean, I guess God could prepare quickly, but still, you get my point. And so God is in the midst of everything that I'm struggling with. He is preparing a dinner. He is not consumed or concerned with my enemies or the things that I'm facing in such a way that that he can't do something. But his focus isn't on my enemy. My enemy's in the room. It's right there. The struggle is there. The weakness is there. The brokenness is is right there, but here is God, and he's at a table, and he's saying, come to the table. Your enemy, your struggle, your problem, it's in the room, and that's okay, but I want you to sit at the table with me because I've prepared it for you, and I want you to commune with me, and I want you to sit with me and embrace me and be with me, your shepherd. I'll take care of your enemy. I'll take care of the struggle. You can trust me. Yes, it's here. Yes, it's in the room. But don't be so consumed with it. Come to the table. And you know what happens when we come to the table? When we sit at the table with God and we look into his face, everything changes. You stop asking why. And you start saying, you led me on this path for your name's sake. For your name's sake. And you know what? I'm going to realign my life. When I sit at this table and when I sit with you, God, and I get to know you, I'm going to realign my life to how can I bring you glory even in this. Even in this. You know, we got to change we got to change. I have to change how I look at my struggles and how I look at my pain and how I look at my enemy. Because he wants me, the enemy wants me to stay consumed right there. He wants me to think that God can't handle this. God, how did this even happen? But God can handle it. In fact, he's so not worried about it that he's making a six-course meal for me and inviting me to sit with him. And even though my enemy is right there, 
I'm with God and everything's changing in my life. What if we changed how we looked at our problems and at the things that come in our path? Because it says we're going to walk through the valley of shadow of death. But it also says that we can't, we don't have to fear evil because he is with me. See, something happens between verse three and verse four. One through three, David is talking all about God. And I could stand up here and talk about God all day. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But a shift happens in the way that David is communicating to us. And in verse 4, he starts talking. He goes from talking about God to talking to God. He starts talking to him and he says, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort for me. You prepare a table before me. Something happens between verse three and verse four. There's a shift in David. He's no longer just talking about God. He's talking to God because in the valley of the shadow of death, we experience his nearness and his realness. We get to be with him and talk to him, not about him. Without them, we wouldn't get as close. We wouldn't learn about all the names. Have you ever thought about how many names there are for God in the Bible? There's so many. Jehovah Jireh. Well, if I never knew God as provider, then I wouldn't know him as Jehovah Jireh. If I never knew God, if I never faced an enemy and needed a shield, then I wouldn't know him as my shield. If I never had a time of trouble, then I wouldn't know him as my refuge and help in time of trouble. If I never had a a time where life was rocky, then I wouldn't know him as my sure foundation. These opportunities are an invitation to a greater faith. When God invited me to that table in the presence of every struggle, he says, this is an opportunity for you to have greater faith in me. Greater faith. This is an opportunity for you to see that even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of your enemies, even in the midst of pain, I will come through. And we have to shift our view of our problems we let them be our focus. And I've, I, I, I get consumed with it. I either do one of two things. I pretend that it doesn't exist or I'm consumed with it. But we got to meet God in the middle. We got to meet him right there at the table. And we got to say, God, I accept the invitation to greater faith in you. I'm tired of living a mediocre life. I'm tired of just going through the motions. I want to have stories of faith that I tell my children, and this is an opportunity for a story. This is an opportunity for me to testify of the goodness of God. Even thinking about Moses, you know, when, when God was going to take the people out, he's like, but the Egyptians, they know everything you did. They know your name. Like they know this and we get an opportunity to know his name and to know him and to walk in that when we take leaps of faith, when we take his invitation of faith to have greater faith. And so why follow the shepherd? Well, I think I've given us lots of reasons, but he longs to be your shepherd He said, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. 
Verse six, it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. Now, follow is kind of a bad word there. Kind of a bad translation. Really, if you translate it, it's more of like pursues. Okay? Because if we think of follow in our culture, I think of Pastor Brandon following us to camp. I look back and I'm like, what mile marker is he on? I don't even see him anymore. I'm like, (laughs) three miles back. That's not what God means by follows. Or I think about my kid, you know, like Leah. I take her into Walmart, and I'm like, come on, Leah. She wants to walk. It's a big thing for her. She doesn't want to ride in the cart, okay? And she's following me. And then I look back, and she's just entranced with something, you know? And I'm like, okay, this is bad parenting. Get up here. Like, follow me. That's not the word here. The word is pursue. The word is chase after. Goodness and mercy chases. Goodness and mercy pursues after me. Goodness and mercy pursues me. And only he can pursue. We love him because he first loved us. The sheep can't earn their way to him. He calls the sheep, and then the sheep follow him. The sheep follow him. A lot of times I've tried to earn my way to him, but the reason that I can be with him forever is only because he pursues me. He pursues each one of you today. He's pursuing you. And maybe he's pursuing you with enemies in your presence. But accept the invitation to come to his table today. Accept the invitation to let him be your shepherd. He doesn't want to be your shepherd for just a moment, for a quiet time in the morning. He wants to be your shepherd all day. As you go to eat and as you go to rest, as you go to work, And as you deal with your family, he doesn't want you to compartmentalize him into just one little part of your life. He wants to do everything for you, leading you and you following to bring glory to his name. And so I'm going to end with that. I want us to take some time seeking our shepherd. Maybe you have been facing something really hard in your own life. And it has felt like the same thing I talked about. God, how will I get through this? I don't know how. I don't understand why. He didn't ask you to understand why. But he's inviting you today to greater faith. Faith that will bring glory for his name's sake. Right. So if you would stand to your feet.
Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. And I just say I'm sorry for the times that I haven't let you be the leader. God, for the times that have been so focused on my enemy and so focused on my struggles and on my problems that I forget you are with me. I pray today that in this room you would meet us in this place and that you would remind us that you are the good shepherd. You are pursuing us. You love us. Even while we were enemies against you, you love us and you brought us into your flock. And Lord, when we follow you, when we submit to that process, when we submit to you, Lord, when we decide that we're no longer the leader, that when we lead as a sheep, we die. Pray today that you would help us to submit because we can't do it on our own strength. It's humbling ourselves and saying yes to you. If you've been walking through that time in your life today and you really just need to meet with the shepherd right now, I want to open up these altars and I want to give an opportunity for you to come. If the care team and the pastoral staff would come, we want to pray with you. You weren't meant to do this alone. You weren't meant to do this alone.